and we don't know how to do interviews. So if we're doing it wrong, just be like, hey, that's not how you do this. Oh, I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too sure about that. <laughs> we kind of go out of our way. It's a thing. Um, All right. We basically try to have an honest a discussion about anything. Uh, we try to keep it to the intersection of culture and faith. Okay. Um, but it, it can really just, it's, we really are more interested in just having interesting conversations. Mm, and, okay. um, so we occasionally curse, but because okay. Gomer's kind of a scaredy cat with his church and stuff. No, we're no, trying no. to pull back a little bit. Whoa, 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 whoa. My church <laughs> listens to this podcast. You're not even allowed to tell your last name because of your work. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Or for the archdiocese. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so I guess uh, I'll just bleep that out. Yeah. Yeah. Beep. Um, so <laughs> anyways, that's just like, but uh, I always like to like let people know up front because i don't want to ever like scandalize or be like wait what you just mm-hmm. said so it's i got the idea to i mean really the impulse like okay we have to do this was after i heard an episode of um bad christian which is one of yeah. my it's just my absolute favorite podcast oh sweet i've actually maybe i might be appearing on there soon um, <sighs> oh, we got oh, you first cool. you did get me first <laughs> yeah. that's i take that guy from emory <laughs> uh it's two guys actually they're all they're all okay anyways yeah I, and so i was uh like man i really want to add like i wish i could just add like a, like a, just a couple of thoughts here and i was like you know what me and gomer because we're huge like podcast freaks we listen to, we, mm-hmm. we've been in this since a long time and so yeah. um we just kind of thought hey let's just start one and so here we are cool awesome. so um so i don't know a lot about you because I used to be real, real in at the Christian music and I worked at a label for a bit and then st- kind of like, yeah, stopped paying attention to anything. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Oh, now I'm broke. Um, uh-huh. Now I can't pay any of my loans. Um, so you kind of came on the scene and like, when, like, when did you start? In terms of like professionally? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, in my early, uh, I was probably in my early twenties when I started actually getting paid to play music. Um, so that's been about, I suppose about 12 years ago. Um, I've been recording music since 2008 in any kind of professional sense. Um, so that's about eight years ago. And, um, yeah, I just kind of began with, uh, writing songs around the age of 19. So yeah, it's been, it's been about 12 years or so. Who were you? I began. Oh, sorry. My influences, uh, you know, honestly, I think Paul Simon and Sarah McLaughlin are two huge influences for me. But it's kind of like interesting because I do, I have, I make worship music on one hand, or, or what you would call, like, I call it devotional music. But then I also have like all this kind of songwriter stuff I do, like for other people's records, and then like I've had side projects and bands, and a lot of my influences there. You kind of hear them more, I think, like in terms of musically speaking, because I have more room to just do whatever I want. Whereas like with devotional music, I have a sort of goal and agenda almost to like make things in a certain orderly fashion and to be like pastoral and 
So you don't really, I don't think you really hear them as much there, but I would say I have a lot of influences from Paul Simon and um, James Taylor even, um, and then Sarah McLaughlin. And then I, I listened to a lot of pop music when I was, you know, in middle school and high school from Sweden and some places like that. And so those are influences on me also. Um, but yeah, kind of, kind of a mix, I guess. Any, uh, any hip hop in there? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I probably don't hear that in my music, but, um, <laughs> you never I, could, you never know. You could do a project with Bob Levsnavsky. You know? uh, yeah, <laughs> no, no. One okay. Catholic rapper. You thought you mentioned. <laughs> um, he, I, he... I, I was, I, I was actually, um, I worked at the label that he was on f- for a bit. It was a fun yeah. little shop we had going there. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I kind of got into hip hop in high school and I still am into it now, but I, I never, you probably don't hear that happening. Um, so yeah, <laughs> nice. yeah, I love hip hop. I'm a big fan and I, we, we spend a lot of stuff around here, most deaf and, um, I mean, my husband likes a lot of things that I've probably never even heard of cause he's way cooler than me, but I was hugely into Eminem for a few years and, nice. um, actually the other day was on apple music because i started my free trial trying to check it out and they had an eminem playlist in chronological order and i started it and i listened to about five songs and then i had to stop because i was like i forgot how angry this stuff is oh yeah oh "Oh, my gosh it's like affecting my mood you know um but i think he's incredible so anyway i I used to listen to D12, which was the group he was with before he went solo. Okay. And you just listen yeah. to that stuff, and it's like, oh, my gosh. For some reason, I want to set a cat on fire and murder my <laughs> ex-wife. Like, you just, oh, you're you yeah. just in such dark places. It's so you dark. You know what sounds good is meth right right now. <laughs> uh, I've been listening to a lot of Kendrick Lamar uh-huh. because uh-huh. my wife is obsessed with him. Uh-huh. And I'm blown away, like, when you really pay attention to what he's saying with what he's saying and how yeah. he is. He is really good. And in that same, maybe not in the same vein musically, but a kind of a similar compliment I would pay to Lupe Fiasco, too. Um, just really, really spiritual and emotional and articulate. And it's interesting. It's I really like him, but um, I don't know if you've listened to him much, but... I need to. We, I, I I'm still in. I'm, I'm still it, um, in this phase, but I'm obsessed with uh, propaganda. Oh yeah, he's really good. Um, he's really good, and I we've befriended each other recently. And I has sent him. Uh, I make memes of Donald Trump, and I direct messages them to him all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> we are so close to having him on the show oh, like, yeah. so I'll, I'll have to put a good word in and depending on how this goes <laughs> yeah 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 you gotta wait to the end uh uh-huh. yeah we were so close he was actually gonna be our first non-buddy interview because he agreed and he was gonna do it in december but then his label um started doing uh podcasts and so they kind of canceled all of his interviews and mm-hmm. so he had done a tour that ended in december so we were gonna kick it off in december like six or eighth or something and Mm, Lo yeah. and behold, they canceled on us at the like Thanksgiving time. We were so uh, done. Because I'm super uh, into propaganda. I love propaganda, and I've only been listening to them because of Apple Music and my three-month trial. Mm-hmm. I listen to every single thing, all the stuff that he did with Odd Thomas and all that, and mm-hmm. just awesome. Fell in love. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he makes me really uncomfortable and i mean that in a good way in yeah. all the right ways like yeah. just yeah so, so okay so you said that 
Oh, you got your start in uh, 2008. Um, like, who did you record with? Like, were you on a label? Or were you just uh, doing stuff on your own? Or um, When I made my first EP, it was an uh, independent uh, venture. And I raised the money for it myself before Kickstarter or anything like that. I just put a guitar case out on the end of the stage and said, I'm making a record and, you know, if you want to hear it or whatever, like put some dollars in there. So that's kind of how I did the first one. Um, and then I, I did it with a couple of producers in Nashville who had done quite a few rep projects I loved and they were fans of what we did. And so they kind of handed it around to people. So I, um, I had been in Nashville for, I'd been living there for about, I don't know, maybe like a month when I, when I made the record and it's called Firefly, which um, it's not in circulation anymore, but there are some copies out there, but I had made it I about a month after moving there. And then um, a week later, I think I got a call from the vice president of A&R at Sparrow Records. And so it all kind of started to become um, a label conversation pretty early for me once I actually made anything, uh, which was not, I don't think that's, that's not typical mm -hmm. and at all. And that's not a compliment to me. I think it was just kind of a combination of the right circumstances and um, the producers that I worked with were big fans of what we made and they're not, and producers aren't always into the things they make. With yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I was lucky or blessed in that way, but it, you know, it was a, yeah, my label, my, sorry, my relationship to even the idea of record labels is now incredibly conflicted and, uh, all of that, but it was, it was cool to move to a city that I was so terrified of and then find that actually it was pretty easy for me to make my way for some reason. Oh, that's um, awesome. It was nice. Yeah. I mean, I'm grateful for that and not everybody has that opportunity. And so, um, can't complain about it too much. I, I remember I was driving, I, I drove by Nashville. This was actually in 2008. And so I had a bunch of jobs that just didn't like work out because of the whole economy thing. And it was just yeah. like a horrible time of life. And I, and I remember just like, um, I had this thought of, I just want to pull over. I'll stay in my aunt's house and just try to get a job doing something. It's like, like, it was just as like, I had this romantic idea of like, I'll, I have all my, like all, I have all my things here in my car let's just live in nashville like see what happens yeah but wow. I that's amazing I was being well <laughs> yeah but he didn't do it so it's just cool uh, <laughs> it's a good story yeah so i was so, gonna say there's a fine line between like prudence and missed opportunities yeah. so. <laughs> I know. so i die inside every time that i drive my nashville going what could have been but um <laughs> that's awesome so uh what stuff are you doing now so I am I'm a little bit um, overwhelmed with how many things I'm doing right now, but I, I'll try to make the list short or as brief as possible. So I'm, um, I now have my own record label and I release all my projects through it, but we are expanding it to release other projects as well. Oh, cool. So I'm putting out a hymns record in February through the label, which my husband kind of runs this label. Um, we run it together, but he does the bulk of the, um, practical work of it you know um and he so we're doing that and we're kind of in the thrills of just like pr and marketing right now and then i just finished a film score um for his film it's a short film that he is working on called to catch a falling knife 
and I wrote the score and performed it and um, produced it and <laughs> engineered it, and it was not an easy process for me. So I'm really glad to have that done. How is uh, um, how is that movie going? It's good. He's going to see the final colored version tomorrow and then he's submitting it to the national film festival which deadline is like the end of this week and um so it's going to start circulating hopefully you know a few festivals depending on who gets accepted to and then he'll be releasing it at some point in the next year after that's That's kind of going on so yeah it's cool i think it's a huge achievement um even if it's not his it's like we were just talking about the other day it's like even if this isn't your best work it's like what an achievement to have finished it. I mean, it's really hard to make a movie. It's just difficult. And um, I've really been close to the process to watch and I'm impressed because it's a lot of work and a lot of just anxiety and, you know, so many things that are out of your control, variables like actors and weather and, you know, you name it. But so I'm just finishing that. And then I have a band called Lev with a friend of mine and who lives in LA and we are working on a record um, in February and March. And then in May, I'm recording a Christmas project, which is coming out at the end of this year. Uh, it's not totally official, but that's the plan. Um, so I'm going to have a very busy year. And I'm excited about it, but I am also a little bit kind of freaking out. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, that is a lot. And I have a toddler. So <laughs> oh I'm just, gosh. how am I going to do this? But um Hopefully, I can pull all that off. Um, with so with like all of this crazy stuff that you do, and 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 we don't have to dive mm-hmm. real into this because this this is a topic that I'm a little bit exhausted over. But like, I mean, with like all this, all the different art that you are involved in, would you call yourself a Christian artist? Um, we do not have to have this conversation. No, I don't mind. Just, I mean, I just, know it's, it always, it, I just, yeah. Um, I'm just, I do have a complicated relationship to that. That's my classic answer. But I, mm-hmm. I just, uh, I think I'm over using the word Christian as a, an, a modifier for anything other than person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am, I would consider myself an artist who makes music for the church to pray with. And I think that that is such a non-brief way to say what I do. Um, I usually actually will tell people I am a, um, I tell them I'm a a worship artist, which I actually don't like that term either, but I think it's, it's the quickest way I can think of to say to people, uh, this is the kind of music I make, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, it's tough to it's tough to communicate that in two words, and I think that worship artist is more accurate, which is that I'm an artist who makes specifically purposed, you know, music for worship for prayer. Um, but I don't know. I don't think there's a really easy way to kind of say it in two words. So I'm not really sure what I think, but I am a Christian person, and I am an artist, and I don't really like the melding of the two terms because I feel like it reduces the work the art to propaganda in some way um which Mm -hmm. i don't want it to be and i think i think it's purer than that for me you know so yeah i agree i i it's a thing that i like so i like i really honestly stopped 
paying attention to anything other than a gasoline heart which is a band that i just think is the greatest band ever um around like 2007 but it was it was yeah. a, a conversation that i just got so tired of and then it kind of comes back up now because we are catholic guys we talk about we talk about catholic stuff and so like everyone always goes oh you have Catholic podcast and I'm like oh can it just be like like I don't know why people need to make that um distinction I'm I think that's fascinating that somebody a lot of people have this need inside to sort of box find a box to put something in so quickly and Mm -hmm. I don't really understand it but um and I think me and Luke are very transcendent right I think that's an appropriate (laughs) word we we transcend labels we transcend gender roles we transcend oh wow I mean we're very very talented so we're fluid fluid. we're 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 two spirit yeah all kinds of fluidity up in here (laughs) all kinds um so yeah so that's great because Luke can talk about music it's really funny because when we have like Father Mike on the podcast like me and schmitz yeah me and him talk theology and different stuff and it turns out that we are in the same mission base in belize a couple years apart and uh and 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 now that we have a a bona fide musician artist all this stuff i'm like well i don't know what to talk about now uh well i like to talk about theology but i'm not a priest so not yet i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) wait till vatican three my friend (laughs) vatican three you hear that traddies vatican three i was about to say the trads will come after you if they already haven't started to come after us yeah, you said worship leader, a traditionalist is going crazy, mm-hmm. which we oh, love. I know. We I'm love fully them. aware of, of all of those objections, yeah. and I chose to say it anyway. So <laughs> Put that in your blood smoker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Um, so one of the um, interesting things about our podcast, besides the fact that it's awesome, is the episode that we recorded. So the first six episodes that we did were so awful. They were so awful. We burned them. No one, no one ever heard them. We They're never right. released them. They were terrible. Um, but then we started recording again and starting over, and uh, we end up um, recording a handful of episodes, trying to find our groove and our voice. And then one day, we talked with our first interview person, Arlene Spensley, who wrote a book called Chastity is for Lovers, a great book, great, great person, awesome personality. We're actually going to do another show with her um, soon. But uh, then after that, we just kept me and we hung up with her and me and Luke just kept talking about chastity and different things with it as our struggles. And then we started talking about pornography. And then mm-hmm. from there, uh, we just said, we just, <laughs> let's just keep recording. Now, see, I was so nervous about recording with, uh, with um, Arlene that I had had several beers. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and by several, I mean like seven. And by the oh, time, gosh. in an hour and a half, and by the time that we had hit, <laughs> the other episode you know i was authentic i think mm-hmm. is the answer but no we so we just talked about our experiences and me and luke have such like radically different experiences with pornography like m- my mom uh when when i openly confessed it to her um the night a- or the morning after she called me downstairs and screamed and yelled at me telling her me i was the scum of the earth for like uh an hour and a half you know oh gosh yeah yeah yeah. and then luke's mom like gave him a hug and told him you know this is this is what it's all about, you know, and this is you know a better way. So, but the other thing, so that's been our most popular episode. Uh, uh-huh. We have had like priests say, like one priest is a rector of a seminary. He's like, I'm making all my 
Preeti all gets listen to this, you know, like all this different oh, stuff, cool. which is funny because we cuss a lot in that one. And I broke oh. my chair and fell over backwards, you know. so that was a fun part. But uh, <laughs> oh, that was my favorite I'm just part. Bummed that uh, the chair was fluid, so <laughs> the chair was the chair was not fluid. My back went into the part that was not fluid. That was pure. Where metal. does the chair end and where does Gomer begin? <laughs> Who knows? If I keep eating all that ice cream, no one will know. Um, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, so that's been huge. And then, but what I did, so this is my this is my Audrey Assad adventure journey. Uh, I found your podcast because I was going to be at the same seat conference that you spoke at. Um, some friends of mine who work at Focus, I was I'm trying to do some stuff with Focus, and I was going to go last minute, I couldn't. And then that's where you gave your wonderful talk on you know just basically your 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 personal testimony, mm-hmm. and someone re- recorded it and posted it on SoundCloud. And I found it on SoundCloud because it was linked to it. And I made a blog post about how amazing your talk was. And I put it on there. And, then, and literally, for the last, like, five years I've been writing on my website, not often, but your blog post is always the most popular blog post of wow. all the things that I've done. Um, wow. And I just I re-listened to it in preparation for this podcast. And it's still – it is the most – you know, you talk about how nervous you were, so you wrote it all down. You just read from the paper – uh-huh. It is the best talk I have ever heard on pornography. Wow. The best. Because That's you are fun. so self-aware. Um, you talk about your, you connect it to your family of origin. You know, the was it the Plymouth Brethren upbringing? And you connect it to puberty and, like, all this stuff. And then the shame and the guilt. And even when you were free with it, the confusion and guilt and shame that kind of stayed with you after you were, I think you said, 17 years old. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And just how that kind of dominated aspects of your life like i honestly and then and then you did your little preaching moment and i and i was listening to it while i was walking around in cvs because you Mm -hmm. don't talk to people in cvs and i'm like Mm -hmm. no i had something in my eye i wasn't crying because i'm a man but i had something in my eye while i was hearing that part and i was like jesus does love me he does (laughs) it's awesome you that talk was phenomenal that talk was phenomenal what has been for you like the response to that, I mean, I know you've done a bunch of stuff with Matt Fradd, who's going to be on the show next month. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are you seeing in terms of response from, like, women? <laughs> women, I uh, hope no one died there. Um, yeah, sorry. Did, did someone just break a chair? Uh, <laughs> I off the table. I'm hoping I didn't wake the baby up. But. Oh, no. Oh, no. I have four babies upstairs right now, so hope I don't wake any of them. Um, but what was your kind of, like, your experience with the – the response to that talk. I mean, I know as well, overwhelmingly positive from the audience, but kind of after that. Um, yeah, I, so I've given some version of that talk before, but it's never been like recorded and sort of distributed, um, till this time. And I've found in the past that, um, people are, I, you know, a lot of people, very good hearted people in ministry kind of want to address this issue with their students and, you know, their kids, their own children, but they really feel nervous about even bringing it up because they are worried that it's going to incite curiosity for any kids in the room who haven't seen porn. And I always laugh because I'm sort of like, you are sadly underestimating how many kids are very, very intimately familiar with pornography. Yeah. They all have it on their iPhones. I mean, it's just, it's there, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I didn't encounter it by looking for it. You know, it just encounter you encounter it. It finds you these days. And so, um, I think that putting it out there as a recording was really, I was so happy to do that because 
I wanted it to be very, very findable and not so, you know, a lot of my talks have been in these rooms with, you know, whatever, 50 or 60 or 100 people, which is awesome. And I'm, it's always worth doing. But I really thought like, this is something that I would like to be vulnerable about with a lot more people than this, because it's just, unfortunately, um, especially for women, I think it's quite uncommon to hear that spoken about publicly. And so, um, yeah, I, I think the response was what I expected it to be. And this, that that's not to say that, oh, I did such a good job. It was more like, I know that if I talk about this publicly, there will be a lot of freedom um, bestowed on a lot of people. Because in my experience, that's really all it takes is the willingness to share your story and your kind of journey through it. It really does free up other people to begin their own journey of freedom as well. And so I, I sort of went into it going like, I know exactly what this is going to do. Um, and I'm doing it because I know what it will do for people. So I was, and I will say it was funny because I like, well, I had my baby with me and he, you know, my husband was holding him and it was like time to feed him and put him to bed. So I had to race away. Um, but in one way I was glad because I, that I had to leave like right after I got off stage because I just was trying to imagine, you know, there were 1500 people in that room. And I was thinking like, I don't have time to um, personally talk to all these people. And I, it's so overwhelming in that way for me sometimes when I do events and it's like, there was one conference I did where I spoke about it. Not even, it was like 10 minute talk. It was so brief. I mean, but I mentioned, you know, the, the P word and the M word and said like, these things were issues for me. And I, you know, and so I, I was approached nonstop the rest of the week by girls and their youth leaders and their mothers. And just sort of like, it was a constant flow of people wanting to process, you know, and I think that this is a very, very significantly needed thing is for women in particular, but all of us really to stand publicly and say, here's my story here's how I'm dealing with it or we're not dealing with it, you know? Um, and it, it's cause the freedom lies in that, uh, community and in, in that shared experience and, and in people who can help you. And so, um, I, yeah, that's a very long winded way of saying I, I wasn't shocked by the response. I knew exactly what the response would be. Um, and it was what I thought it would be. The, uh, the f- two touchstones for me in your doc that, you know, it's always funny when, because uh, you're you're in your thirties. You're what, like thirty one, ish. Thirty two. Thirty two. Thirty two. So I'm thirty three, and the way you describe like the scrambled cable channel, I have like this insanely vivid memory of that. Just it, it's almost like hypnotic, you know, in mm-hmm. that in that the the what pornography did to me mm-hmm. through that, and just experiencing that. And then when you said that, I was like. Oh my goodness! Like I, I, because I honestly felt like I was the only one. Because I remember showing it to my older brother and being like, "Hey, look what I found!" And being like, "What is this? Are you serious?" And I was like, "This is awesome!" You know, and mm-hmm. uh, and but you know, but the fact that you know, obviously, someone else that had that experience. But then um, the uh, the Peter Kreff quote mm-hmm. that you had, um, which is essentially something like, um, "Death separates the body from the soul." Uh, and so we, it's like a, a cosmic absurdity, a freak, like, cause the soul is meant to be with the body. That's why we're afraid of corpses and ghosts. 
but that's I think it was Christopher West actually. Oh, Christopher one. West. Okay. As far as I remember, I think. I think well, so. You said Peter Craft, and so that's what Maybe I wrote I down. I got really scared. <laughs> Maybe um, I did. <laughs> but I think it, I would make misquoted, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that was Christopher West. Okay. Well, I hate that guy. Just kidding. Just kidding. But uh, <laughs> All right. yeah, no, I, I am just kidding. But uh, <laughs> that quote was amazing because it's like that's what pornography does. It, it makes like essentially walking corpses out of out of persons. It, it denies them their their mm-hmm. dignity. It denies them their their soul. And when you put, because to me, I always look at it from like the philosophical, you know, use versus love and all this about you're like, you are de-souling human beings. You're like, oh, damn, that is what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. It really was a changing point for me. Not that it like removed all the power of pornography, but it was sort of like, I, I, I don't know if you're like this, but one thing I've always had is a need to know why something is wrong and not yeah. just that it's wrong. Yeah. And you know, I, um, I, I guess I just sort of, I, I, I was always sort of struggling po- even post like the throw post the throes of addiction. I was struggling to feel certain of what, um, I said this in the talk, but just for people who haven't heard it, I, I, w- I felt so uncertain of what it was that pornography is warping um, because I had no, you know, I had no idea. It was kind of just um, confusing for me. And so when I read that, I thought, oh, I have something concrete to kind of hold on to here. And when I'm tempted towards something, I have something to tell myself that it's not just like, this is wrong, this is bad. It's like, here is why you don't want to do this, you know? Um mm. And here is what you will be doing if you if you do decide to give into this. And here's how you can, you know, do the opposite of that. And so it just was practically helpful. I didn't really have any tools like that beyond like, oh, like you're just not, you know, you're defiling your body or you're lusting after someone and that's wrong because they're not married to you. It's like, okay, yeah, but, Why? you know, what are the, yeah, what's the spiritual mechanism going on here and mm-hmm. and how can I how can I learn about that? So, yeah. and for, I think, Oh, sorry, Luke, you go. You better be sorry. Um, as a greater <laughs> church, I, I think we have a huge problem where we don't talk about why, like, we just want to be like, this sin is bad, so don't do it. And no one really wants to go like, it's bad because you're going to alienate both, you know, like your own soul mm-hmm. and those, and those people around you and you're going to create a living hell. So, like, and yeah. and it, it's just really interesting how we don't like we don't ever talk about why having sex for marriage is wrong. Just like you, right. you want to be pure, like well, what the hell does that mean? Sorry, what the heck does that even mean? Like being right. pure. Like I mean, that's not. I think that's a satisfying answer for some people, but and I think that's maybe that's okay. But I think I've always well for a long time now I've felt like Christianity is more than just a list of behavioral modification rules and you know sort of standards for living it's like it's Mm -hmm. more than that you're supposed to be getting at the heart of the mystery of life and so when you want to do that like you really have to be meditating on these things like in a deeper way than just saying this is how this is God's standard of purity it's like okay well okay but that's not it's like getting at the heart of it really and um I think it's beautiful when someone can like insightfully and incisively say something like that and sort of give you a a glimpse at the mystery of sexuality and God's creation of it and make that the beautiful thing that you're striving for, not just 
uh, adherence to a rule or yeah. to a tradition even, you know, which those things are good, but it does only go so far for certain people with certain kinds of minds, you know? And yeah. so I value those things a lot. Yeah. I think, uh, I think if you're looking because pornography and being tied, all these sexual things are tied so much to vitality, to life that it, it it's so overwhelming in the sense of being alive, you know, like this, the rush and all that stuff that, yeah. that it, it's, I don't know. It puts us in touch with like feeling alive without actually being alive. And when mm-hmm. someone gives you kind of a, a church answer or a classroom answer that doesn't like satisfy your heart, you know, well, it breaks the sixth and ninth commandment and you're like, no, okay. Mm-hmm. And I know right. I shouldn't do that, but you know, and for me, it was actually when I would, it was a quote from, um, Chesterton, every man knocking on the door of a brothel is searching for God. Mm-hmm. And that quote being like, okay, well, he's searching in the wrong place, but he's, there's something in his heart that's saying like, life is good and you should get connected to life, but this way is not the right way. And then, yeah. so I would pray like in my, cause now I couldn't share this with my parents, right? My parents, right. I mean, even though I probably could have sh- kept sharing it with my dad, but I just grouped them together and ran away. Um, yeah. my experience was just to basically say, Okay, Jesus, you know, in these really horrible, alone, isolating moments, even up to college, I would mm-hmm. say, what am I looking for? And may I find it in yeah, you? Yeah, You yeah. know, not in anything mm-hmm. else. May I find this in you? Yeah, totally. And I think that's such a key to freedom from it because once you're able to say this is a symptom of something else and not really shame yourself over the fact that you're symptomatic, like mm-hmm. – it's and yeah. I think shame is healthy to a level to a certain point, but like when you start to understand that addiction to pornography is a compulsion and a a a a real band aid on something, you know, um, yeah, you can stop giving the enemy the foothold of like self loathing and sort of the way that that keeps you stuck in a loop because you're. You loathe yourself and then you don't care as much about dishonoring yourself. And so once you can really get free from that, I think that, you know, the journey forward becomes a little easier um, over time. And I, at this point, am sort of like, I feel no, I feel no shame or I feel no guilt, I will say anymore about that, about the fact that at one point in my life, this had a hold on me and that I always have to be vigilant now. Mm. And I, I don't feel any guilt over that. I'm like sort of, um, I don't know. I guess I do feel really free. And I think it took a long time to get there a very long time, but it's so, it's so good to work towards that. Yeah. When I tried to find out why, you know, and I did a little bit of research, you know, back in, back in the age of AOL Mm 3.0, you've got mail. Uh, And uh, I, I did some searching on on what was it uh, alta vista and uh it said uh you, you had mentioned the talk when you you had went to a talk and the only time uh-huh. your church ever talked about it they were like well the, what's the one thing that all serial killers have in common uh-huh. Uh-huh. and i literally oh my gosh. yeah and that was that and you know what's funny is i i must have heard that in a dozen chastity talks that yeah. pornography the the only common thing between all serial killers yes. it's not broken homes it's not this it's pornography addiction and i was like but that was on my own research. I didn't hear it in like mm-hmm. that group setting first. And I was like, oh my God, I'm 
I'm going to be yeah, a serial killer. Totally. <laughs> I thought there was something very wrong with me. I thought, oh, no, like, I'm the kind of person who's capable of doing that. I mean, I clearly, you know, and it's, I get why they... I, I get why it was, I think it was a study by Dr. Dobson and the folks on the family group. As That's far as exactly I who it was. Yeah. And I, I guess I understand it's data collection. They found that link. Great. Um, but I, a, as far as I recall, all of those men were addicted to some pretty perverse, hardcore stuff, um, which is not everyone who's addicted to pornography. First of all, yeah. I never really ventured into that territory and I know people do, but I, I did not happen to, but, so I was lumping myself in with these people who were watching torture porn and, you know, yeah. some pretty like brutal stuff. And so that's a nuance that I think is worth mentioning. Uh, but also you sort of, yeah, again, they're all symptom. There, there are symptoms for them too. Like their, their addiction was a symptom for them, not the root cause yeah. Yeah. of their serial killing. You know, it's, <laughs> well, so, I looked at pornography today. Time to slaughter a family. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's definitely not the way it works. Off to um, Wisconsin. I, think that I do think for people with um, violent or schizophrenic or whatever sort of um, situation they might be, if they have a violent tendency or an angry tendency or a schizophrenic tendency, and they are, are the kind of person who could commit those crimes and who actually would, then that probably influences the type of pornography they watch. But I don't yeah. think... And then that pornography, I'm sure, fuels whatever is going on inside of them. Oh, yeah. But I don't think the relationship is one-to-one that they, because they watch <laughs> pornography, they then become able and willing and ready to do these mm -hmm. horrible things. I don't think that's it's, true at all. Yeah, I know. It's pornography plus video games. That is yeah. the connection. Oh, that drives me – like I get so tired of whatever <laughs> I hear anyone go, How do, like, you, you know what it is. It's the video games. And I'm like, yep, that's it. Like you've <laughs> solved – like, why people kill people, yeah. and it's something that was invented 40 years ago. <laughs> exactly. Like, why? I, I don't understand why we just can't. It's like we. It's like, in my mind, that doesn't give God enough credit for this for this amazing complex thing He created. You know, because it's, we, we just want to reduce everything to these real easy right. silver bullets. Yeah, yeah. like kind of like with like what you're saying about all the Christian music stuff. Like we just want to feel safe and we want to understand and we don't want to have to think and we don't want to have to be uncomfortable. Right. And we just, and I think our generation and I, I and I hate, and I feel really weird using that term, like our generation is going to rise up. But I do think that your, ex, your experience is as we age will be like, it'll be easier to talk about that stuff and we're going to go yeah i had the same thing yep me, me too because we're we all like grew up with the internet as the internet was growing up yeah and it's killing us and so i think uh, the more like uh, the more that like you share your own story mm -hmm. uh, the more other people will yeah and we're all going to go yeah this is nuts everyone yeah. right yeah, and I think there's so much power in numbers, like just banding together and saying, like, this is something about our culture that we want to change, and it's also something about our church subculture that we want to destigmatize so that yeah. there is less potential for unseen, you know, yeah. children being addicted. Like, it's so stigmatized that that feeds the opportunity for, you know, multiple... Well, the yeah. shame adds to the pleasure of an illicit act, right? Like, 
this is mm-hmm. secret, this is hidden, this is something wrong, and I might get caught, and that that kind of amplifies it. But then the shame adds to the, you know, the guilt that you feel that drives you further away from other people to to find mm-hmm. healing and all that stuff. So I I, I know like I don't want to make you. We're gonna have Matt Frad out here to kind of break down because he's doing yeah. a, a podcast on like the neuroscience and all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, maybe uh, I I just want to take in a couple of different directions. Um, your recent album. Um, what was it called? Even under even under death, right? Even uh, that's no. the recent single, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's awesome. That's incredible. Um, and it, you you drew a lot on the poetry of John Donne. Is that right? Are you like a big uh, fan of his? I do like him. Yeah. Um, I have drawn on him in the past. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty awesome. He's pretty amazing. And we had a woman in our parish who recently died of cancer, and uh, I took your lyrics. Uh, and a link, I think there's a, a video on YouTube of you playing the piano with um, the music. And I posted that on the, in, in her thing. And she, it was before she died. Uh, she, it was like one of the last things she did on our like parish Facebook page. She had liked oh, wow. it and wrote a little comment that that was very meaningful for her. And uh, yeah, that album is great. And then your new album. Uh, oh, I was just playing it for my daughter today. <laughs> my daughter, Katiri, who's five and lost the tooth today. Wanted uh-huh. me to tell you hello. Uh, hello, Jerry. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm lost tooth. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, it's like $20 now for a tooth. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? Shannon goes, what's the going rate? And I was like, stop it. It's like a quarter or a dollar. I don't care. Just pick a thing with a one in front of it. So it's a $100 bill. Um, but we, uh, she, we were listening to um, your song that I think you attributed it to connecting it with the martyrs, um, the modern day martyrs that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, especially yeah. the the um, what is it uh, Libyan martyrs and all that. Yeah, the twenty one Coptic martyrs were really the kind of catalyst for the song to be written. Yeah, even unto death. Yeah, mm-hmm. that song is intensely beautiful. Um, so you. so it was funny because you did the to- the talk, and then I went and then I went onto your website, and then I saw the um, the previous the previous album that you did with uh, oh the. Why am I blanking right now as we're having a conversation? That's okay. Uh, the, um, one, I'm sorry. the one that had more, the, the John Dunn song that I'm thinking oh, of. Oh, yeah, Death Be Not Proud. Yeah, Death, yeah. thank you, Death Be Not Proud, which is you posing in a, a very, what are you, are you pregnant with uh, yes. in the album art? Good deal. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have said that, right? Like, you never say, like, are you pregnant? No, I wasn't pregnant. Um, no, that was definitely the point. I was trying to <laughs> yeah. get that across. Yeah. Safe. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whew, okay and then i and then i saw that you were coming out with a single so then i bought that after i bought the others and then i saw that your husband was doing the movie so i went on that and i found the kickstarter and then i funded that so oh. i was like oh my gosh i am knee deep in this i gotta i gotta get out and take a breath it's not a rabbit hole yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you i have literally paid hundreds of dollars to your family right now so thank you for being on the podcast yeah. That's, um as this is this is a question that um uh, that I've got to ask earlier, but as a Catholic, mm-hmm. when I was real involved in the Christian music scene, this was in the late nineties to the early uh, to mid two uh, thousands. You didn't hear the word Catholic at all. I think I heard it at one festival one time, <laughs> and you heard like a like a like. A gaffs, which also has been when that which like also happened when a guy in the band said they were like shit. It was so because you heard everyone just they like all just um, <laughs> went, at the exact same time. It yeah. was amazing. How like how has that been 
has that been hard? Has it been good? Has it been like a non-factor? I honestly, it's certainly not as much of a factor for me as it probably was for artists that came out even, you know, five, five years before I did or 10 years before. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it comes up and there are some uncomfortable interactions and one, but I do think that there's a change in the sort of market of like devotional and worship music that is a little bit less um, hostile to that than it used to be. Um, There was an example I can think of. I was recently at um, One Thing Conference, which is run out of IHOP, Kansas City, uh, International House of Prayer. International House of Pancakes, sponsoring Christian movements all over the place. Yes, yes. So they they have this 24-7 prayer room, you know, in Kansas City since 1999. And they have a conference every year called One Thing. And so I was there and Matt and I, Matt Marr and I led worship at one of the main stage sessions, which was incredible for many reasons for me. And just like, cause ecumenism is such a, a mission of mine. And, um, but it was, it was incredible because we, we did our thing for an hour, which at, uh, I have conferences worship before a talk lasts for a full hour, which is amazing. And um, a marathon uh, over the course of a week because it's just a lot of time. But it's it's beautiful that they're ready and willing for that um, amount of singing and stuff. But anyway, so we did our, our set. And then Francis Chan came up, who um, is a sort of prominent speaker, author, pastor, church planter, who I've known for seven, year, seven years, maybe six or seven you've, years. And you've known him personally? I have. Um, I just met him kind of at different events and stuff. And Matt has known him, you know, from the passion community. And he's like he, the superhero of preachers, in my opinion. He's my he's all-time really favorite. He's really very good. Um, I love him, and I respect him a lot. And so you know how he is. Like he knows the Bible backwards and forwards, at least the Protestant Bible, anyway. And so he um, used to really like give me a hard time about being a Catholic. And yeah. I can't, I'm like, I can't out argue Francis Chan. Like I might be right about some stuff, but like he is way more in tune with, you know, a lot about what the Bible says than I am. And so, I mean, I feel like I know it reasonably well. I studied a lot as a Protestant growing up, but, but anyway, so he had, we'd had some conversations that were hard and sort of challenging over the years. And so he got up on the stage in a room of 20,000 people and it was being web streamed and I don't know how many thousands of people were watching it, but he apologized to me on stage. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy. And I was like backstage crying, like, what is going on? He's like, I'm <laughs> that, so convicted. Wow. He's like, you know, Paul, he read the passage, uh, I'm having trouble, which epistle it's from but where paul says that i cannot say to the hand i have no need of you and he sort of said like i'm convicted that i have in the past questioned whether i could really be in unity with with audrey and matt and i reject that you know and then he when we came back up on the stage after his talk he kind of reiterated that and gave us hugs and we were all crying and i was like what is going on but like you know so it's such a continuum like maybe five years ago he was giving me a real hard time about it but now he's being so gracious and um has been so convicted over it so I would say it gets easier all the time i feel like that's awesome i really don't i really don't get a ton of black about it and um when i do it's kind of incredible to see what the years can accomplish that so is a big deal like that yeah is, i mean just from being in i mean from having been involved in that whole world for a bit like 
that's a big deal. It is. And I mean, it caused some major waves, like what, you know, just, yeah, there was a lot of talk on the internet about it. I think that people were very surprised by that, but also the the whole conference kind of took on a tone of like, of Christian unity. And I think that was beautiful. Um, I'm so happy that it did. And, um, yeah, so it, I think that is happening. I think people are, it's familiarity and it's, people like myself who are willing to sort of be public about it too. And yeah. I feel like there was like an air of legitimacy when Matt Marr did uh, the passion conference with your grace is enough being picked up by Chris Tomlin and a lot of that stuff that previously there wasn't, you know, cause Catholics, it's funny. It's like, cause when you're in youth ministry, so I was a life team youth minister for years and um, you know, you draw so much on the Protestants for youth ministry and then, you know, so you start going through all these resources. Every book I owned was from, uh, if it wasn't published by Life Team, it was published by, you know, Zondervan and all this stuff. And then the funny thing is, as you keep reading, you enter, like, Emergent Church. And they're all quoting St. Francis de Sales, uh, yeah. St. Therese of Lisieux. And all of a sudden you're realizing that you're recovering your own tradition through Protestants and all this. And the fact that Matt was able to sing, you know, Your Grace is Enough and tie it into all that stuff. Um mm-hmm. And then for me personally, like, you know, there's a, I, I love ecumenism. I, I took a class on it and it's kind of been fueling a lot of the stuff that I'm trying to begin to do. But the, yeah. I feel like the most fruitful dialogue going on right now is Catholics and evangelicals together, which is an mm-hmm. organization. Um, and like Rick Warren has been doing, uh, like he went to the Vatican um, for the Humanum Conference and a bunch of world religions did and all this stuff. But he was awesome. He praises Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, and now he's speaking at an event that I'm going to on Monday. He's it's a, called Parish Catalyst. It's just for Catholic parishes, but mm-hmm. he's doing a whole half day presentation and stuff like that. And wow. you're just and it's like the people who, you know, I, I did an event uh, called Faiths Together uh, at my local community college, one of these lifelong learning things, and it was filled with Christian pastors and whatever who don't who aren't really sure of what they believe anymore and who are more willing to say, well, you know, we all kind of basically believe the same thing. Yeah. And I look over at them and I'm like, I don't believe what they believe, uh, but I don't hate them. And so I'm in a room and they're like this one Jewish guy is like, I'm an agnostic Jew. I can't tell the difference between any of you. And I was like, I love this guy. And so, yeah. And so one of the guys that was like, well, you know, we do have some differences, but I really feel like, and the guy just kind of looked at him funny, and I was like, here's the major differences. Let me run through, like, five, you know? And the guy was like, thank you. That was very clear. There won't be ecumenism <laughs> if we just kind of, like, that was actually an impression of my dad. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, my dad, my dad, I turned him into an agnostic Jew from New York, but he's actually a, uh, an Irish from uh, from Philadelphia. But, um, hey, Michael, hey, son of a bitch. Um, so, uh, yeah. But uh, but I don't know why you call my mom that. But Will Smith, um, <laughs> Will Smith, this is terrible. Um, oh my god! But yeah, like real ecumenism is based on people being authentic about real faith and what they really believe. And yeah. I, I don't know if Francis Chan knows how many people his, how many Catholics his sermons have touched. Because yeah, yeah because yeah, I steal from him all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and no, I doesn't know that, you know. Yeah, and I know in heaven there, there's going to be a whole bunch of Catholics who are like, man, you're awesome, mm-hmm. Francis. Thank you for you, know, yeah, you being absolutely. you. Absolutely. Cool. Um, we are we are currently at the hour mark, and so we are. Uh, too long, but 
Thank you. This yeah. was really cool. You're welcome. Thanks for appreciate it. hanging out and having me. I appreciate it too. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So, it, oh, I'm sorry. Go I ahead. I was just going to say that we're going to have. Um, this is published on my website, layevangelist.com, okay. seen by dozens. Cool. Um, and <laughs> uh, and then under Catching Foxes, this is going to be, I okay. think, episode 28 mm-hmm. um, okay. after our Sweet. Star Wars extravaganza. Did you see Star Wars? <laughs> I have not seen it. I was so busy finishing that film score over Christmas break that I have not been able to emerge from that hole long enough to do anything fun yeah, so that sounds like a weird excuse but anywho we'll let it <laughs> well slide. it was i had a super crazy deadline so it was kind of like well no more anything until after new year's so how funny you had work i refuse to work so that i can make <laughs> yeah. time for star wars um that's why that's, that's why i work paycheck to paycheck um but uh no so it'll be published on the website and then um uh, I totally forgot where I was going to go with that. Oh, uh, anything you want to pitch? Anything coming up? I know your new album is coming out. The Hymns album is coming out. Um, I'll add all of it into our show notes. Is there anything in particular that you're doing that you you really want to plug right now? I think just the the Hymns record really. Um, just a real upcoming thing. So, um, is it all Hogan yeah. and Haas stuff? Yes, all of it. Um, oh. And also some uh, Maranatha praise music from 1980s. So A lot of synthesizer. That's a lot of stuff. synthesizer. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, so it's going to be called uh, Inheritance, correct? Inheritance. And that's uh-huh. dropping uh, February 12th? Y- yeah, February 12th. I have a, if you want me to, I can send you a press release, but I don't know if you need that much detail. That's pretty much the most important information. We wouldn't even know oh, oh, what to do with it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what oh, okay <laughs> oh dude that's cool you're donating directly to 25 percent to saint vincent de paul oh yeah of um one of the songs that uh is written by uh, well it is composed by gavin Breyers, but it was um a kind of fragment that he collected off the street of a recording of a homeless man singing kind of an oddly metered hymn and so he um, composed a piece around it, and I recorded it. So we're going to donate proceeds to them. That's oh, that's awesome. That is wonderful. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It's called Jesus Blood Never Failed Me Yet. Yeah, and you get a T-shirt. You get a T-shirt. You with can a pack. you can order one. Yeah, there's uh, a pack on the Pledge Music that you can do a T-shirt um, and a, and something else. So yeah, we're and we'll do that for the life of the record. So when people buy the album, we'll be donating a percentage of the record to St. Vincent de Paul for the lifetime of the album as well. Beautiful. So everyone, you will find that in our show notes. Uh, you can find our show notes at layevangelist.com slash catchingfoxes slash 28 for this episode. And it'll be right there or in your podcast uh, listener thingy of choice. Uh, just scroll down to the show notes and we'll have all of that in there. Audrey, mm-hmm. thank you so yeah. much for being thank with you. us. Thank you for having me. This is great. Because- All right, y'all take care. Cool. You too. Have a good night. Stay classy. Bye. Thanks. (laughs) Bye.